Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Happy birthday, Jill. <laughs> well, this isn't going to be the typical Christmas message. I really tried to make it that, but God just wouldn't let me. And uh, he told me that him coming to this earth in the form of a human baby is the sure hope. And that would be enough of a Christmas message for this morning because I'm going to be talking about that God has given us a sure hope. And he gave us a sure hope in Jesus, but his heart has been towards us with a sure hope since before the world was even created. Can you imagine that? You were in God's heart before he created the world. Now, I call that a sure hope, a sure hope to minister to us that you individually are that precious to God. So let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for this message. Um, I thank you that it's your desire to let each one of us know that you've given us this sure hope, that you wanted to give us a knowing in our hearts that we can trust you and that we've got somebody that's got our back all the time, got our front, got over us, got under us, and in us. What a sure hope you are. I thank you for opening our hearts and minds to that truth in a greater way as we hear what you have to tell us and as we ponder on it in the coming days and weeks. Amen. I want to talk this morning and I want to compare the sure hope with false hope because sometimes, especially for us older gals and guys, We've lived a whole lot of years in the false hope and got very comfortable with it, didn't even realize that there was another hope. And so I'm going to compare the two back and forth. It's also a message that you've heard before. It's not going to be a new message, yet we need to be reminded over and over again because the false hope, the hope that the world tries to give us, is always talking to us. We hear it all the time just because of the world we live in. Last week, uh, Jim took us through the Old and New Testaments, highlighting much of what God has done to bring us life. And it felt like to me as I listened that God was just sanctifying his name in our hearts. This is what I have done for you. I did it in Genesis. I did it with Noah. I did it with Abraham. I did it over and over and over and over. And each one of us here can say, that's what he's done in my life too. He did it over and over and over again, assuring us that this sure hope is with us and it'll stay with us forever. The hope that the world offers us is a wishful kind of hoping, uh, hoping that something good in this world will happen to us. It's a desire or a dream, a longing for something. Uh, like, I hope I get a promotion or I hope I win this race. It's the American dream kind of hoping and it is not sure. There is no surety in it. So we see that there are two kinds of hope that we're gonna encounter in this earth. One of them is earthy and one of them is from above. 
One of them is the wishing and hoping kind of love that's elusive. I always try to bring um, pictures to my message because I do that so much in children's church. The kids enjoy it and it helps them. And honestly, I found out me to remember better what was said. So I want to give you a picture of this elusive, um, not sure hope that you're going to encounter in the world. At best, at its best, it's a mound of dung. And it's going to tempt you to eventually fall in despair because its desire is to get you to trust in it, to get you to trust that that's what you need for life and that if you just work a little bit harder, that's what you're going to get and that that is going to sustain you. And that takes us into despair because guess what? It can't give you life. It can't give you the thing that you've been hoping for. And even if you momentarily get it, it's going to fail you because it's only temporary. And then there's the sure hope that is the life of God. It was put on show and display for us at the cross and the resurrection. It's a person that gave his life for you so that you could have immortality, a life that can never fail you. It's the I will never leave you or forsake you kind of hope. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? We want a life that can never die. It'll never weaken and it'll le never let us down. Our hearts were created to house this kind of hope. In fact, our hearts were created to only house this kind of hope. God knows what will satisfy our hearts, and that's what he's given to us. It's a sure hope that he manifested in the body of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. This sure hope that God put on display for us at the cross is described in Hebrews 6:19. It says, which hope, the sure hope, we have as an anchor for our souls. Man, our souls can get wished and washed and tossed and to and fro every which way. But the sure hope is an anchor for our soul. It gives us something to be planted in that will not move. It's both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The hope that God has given us is sure and steadfast. It is a hope that went beyond the veil. What does that mean? Jesus tore down the veil that was between God and man so that man could enter into the Godhead, <coughs> excuse me, in full assurance and confidence. A confidence of what? Acceptance by God, belonging. We belong in God's bosom. And who is it that made it that way? Jesus. Jesus paved the way, took down the veil that tried to separate us from God. 
so that we can climb into Abba's lap and rest our head on his chest. He has intertwined his heart with us so that we can be comfortable, not just live in the Godhead. You know, I lived in the Godhead for many years as a Christian, but I wasn't comfortable there because I remembered what I had done wrong the day before. This sure hope lets us be comfortable as we are, right where we are with God, that we have, we satisfy something in his heart that he wants. What an amazing thing to think that we do that for God, just our presence. And he wants us to be fully in his presence and comfortable, feeling like we're at home in him with no fear and no discomfort. <clears throat> In Philippians 1.20, Paul said, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as also now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That is a sure hope. It says that nothing can take it away. Nothing that happens in life can disturb it. Not even death can disturb it. What a powerful hope we've been given so that there's no shame involved and it gives us boldness. It causes Jesus and his life to be displayed in us, in our bodies, whether we live or whether we die. Death cannot kill this hope. In fact, it puts this sure hope on display for us to see. I want to take a quick look at the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. The rich man had everything that he wanted on earth. He had everything. And then there was a man named Lazarus who was homeless. He sat outside the rich man's house begging for crumbs, it says. Now, let me ask you a question. I want to know if anybody here would like to sign up to be Lazarus. Hey, I got a hand. For most of us, it's not very appealing, is it? I mean, we're kind of comfortable. We know where our clothes are, and they're not in a bag on the street. They're in a dresser and hanging in our closet where they won't wrinkle right? All those things that we've come to just uh, take for granted. So our carnal minds don't like the idea of suffering or being uncomfortable. But then in the story, we see both men die. You know, that's going to happen. I mean, it sounds funny. It's not God's kind of life that this happens in. But in um, the fallen world, part of living is dying. But we'll look in a little while. God's taking care of that also. So Lazarus finds himself after he's died that he's with God. He's not hurting anymore. He's not suffering and he doesn't have any lack. Wow, 
what a story and what a message. Now this is just a little side note and you'll just have to forgive me. But what does that do to the prosperity message that we often hear being preached? Just saying. One of the messages in these scriptures is that anything material that we can amass in this earth is really a false hope. It can't go with us to the next life, nor would we want it or need it when we get to the next life. And what we have in this earth does not indicate our spirituality, does it? Because that story makes that very, very clear. Lazarus had the sure hope, and the rich man did not. I don't want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong to have money. I'm not suggesting that you go sell your house, give everything away, and go sit outside a rich person's house and start begging. I'm just saying that it isn't accumulating the things of this world that's going to give us the hope that our hearts really desire. Jesus talked about this hope in Matthew 11. He was talking to us and saying when we're tired or when we're burdened by our own works, when we come to an end of ourselves and our own striving, that we can go to him and that he has this hope for us. It's a doctrine. It's a faith. And this hope is so powerful that we can go from striving and toiling and working to rest. That is quite a hope that can accomplish that. So Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That yoke is a sure hope. It's who he is. It's God's faith. And when we let him minister to that hope to us, we don't need to fight or push or toil or work for things. It's not the wishing and hoping kind of hope. It's an assurance that God's life will produce in you rest. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is the faith talking about in this scripture? If it's the substance of things hoped for, that means it's pretty important. It is the thing. It is the faith, the faith of the Son of God. It's the faith that Jesus received from his Father when he hung on the cross. It's the spirit of faith that has created all things. Jesus is the spirit of faith. This is the true hope that will not let us down. The word substance in that scripture, it means essence or assurance, confidence, and covenant, <laughs> which that just uh, last week's message hit me so strong because I already had a lot of this put together and when Jim started preaching on covenant, it was like, there's the substance 
that covenant, the fullness that God would give all of himself to us. He didn't hold anything back. That's what makes it a sure hope. When God made the covenant, he didn't establish it on a wishy-washy foundation. He made sure that it was sure and that it could not fail. That word evidence of things not seen means pr the proof is not in the things seen in this world, as we saw with Lazarus and the rich man. And I think that's one of the things that kind of can trip us up sometimes because we do have eyes <laughs> and we do see the things in this world. And it um, tries to lure us into believing that those things are really important. But this is evidence of things not seen. God has a sure hope that he puts in us so that we can see the things that are not seen more clear than the things that are. That's what is so important about this sure hope, that it allows us to see the things that are not seen more clearly than the things that are seen with our natural eyes. So how did this spirit of faith strengthen and fill Jesus with this sure hope on the cross? How do we know it was a sure hope, first of all? Because Jesus didn't come down. He knew that he had something that was so strong that he could rest on the cross and trust that God was going to take care of his life for him. He didn't need to. The Father assured Jesus that he would give him life apart from his own doing. That even though he was encountering death, and not just death, I think sometimes uh, we hear words, I don't even want to call it cliches because it is the scripture, but we hear it so much, and maybe it's because we hear it so much we don't get the revelation of what it, what it means. But Jesus took all the death of the world. Not just his death, not just my death, everything in the whole world, all death was upon him. And God assured him that his faith would protect him from eternal corruption and that he would raise him glorified into immortality. So the father held Jesus's identity intact within himself and gave his son the sure hope so he could rest through his time on the cross. This is the sure hope, knowing that Abba had provided everything for him. And it's the same hope that's given to us that he has given us everything that we need to know that we can trust in him. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's why it's so important to have this sure hope that already is within us, but to have it to be ministering to us so that these things that are not seen become more important 
more desirable than the things that we see on this earth. I think it's harder for the people in America to make this transition from putting our hope in the eternal life than life here. And that's because we have TVs and social media. Everybody's showing everybody else what they have, what they've gotten, what they're doing, what, 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 what. And it can stir up a lust inside of us. And that's okay. You know, I'm not saying God's upset about that. He's just saying, I can one-up all that. I can give you a more sure hope than all that what, 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 what. I can give you something that's going to give you a stronger stability and give you a peace and a hope that that TV or that new car or that new house could ever give you. I know for my generation, we were raised that we could get life in this world from the government and the economy. And you know, way back, it really looked like it was stable and it was good. But you know, everything that isn't built on God and God alone eventually is gonna crumble. And so now we're seeing some of those things that we thought were so stable and so solid and so sure, they're not that way now. And it's because it wasn't built on God. It's built on men's ideas and what men think is best for life. Thank God that this fallen world is not our inheritance. <laughs> then we have sports celebrities and Hollywood celebrities. And unknowingly, they can actually take a higher place in our lives and hearts than they should. I know... As young girls, many of us watched Cinderella. And we grew up thinking, sorry guys, but that there was this prince in the world for us. And if we could just find the right one, he was gonna take care of all of our problems. Isn't that amazing that there is this human being in the world that if you can find him, he is gonna take away all of your problems. So without knowing it, our Prince Charming became our hope. We had an idol planted in our hearts by a Disney movie, but it was really death that that came from, not Disney. We were sold a lie that another person, another human could take care of all of our needs. Is that true? Of course not. We have only one savior the one who died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead into immortality. But without realizing it, many of us as women had our hearts persuaded that our husbands were kind of our savior. And what did that cause? When wives were unhappy or felt that somehow their needs weren't met, they blamed their husbands without even realizing that seed had been planted in their heart many years ago. And they just thought it must be their husband's fault if things went wrong. That's really sad. But now let's take a look at the husband's side of it. That put a terrible burden on a human being to put the attributes of God on a man and then expect him to be able to do it. So 
the husbands took on the responsibility for another person's peace and joy. It set up a constant failure for him and a wife that judged him as deficient. This is a picture of a counterfeit hope. Trusting in another human being is not a sure hope. In Colossians 1, it says, this is verse 27, in whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the sure hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God had all the glory he needed. He had all the hope he needed. That wasn't his ultimate goal, though. He wanted a family. He wanted many sons and daughters. And he wanted to put that same glory and hope in us. That is the only sure hope that we're going to have. So where is this hope that cannot fail us? God put it inside of us. Wow, it's so easy to just blow that off because we have heard this from the time we got saved. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But let's think about what God did so that he could come and live inside of us. You know, your sermon last week, Jim, that's what it just spoke to my heart. I just felt like, I felt like my heart was being um, pummeled, but in a good way. It's like all the reasons that the world had told me I couldn't trust in God, they were just being just destroyed one after another. Because we don't often start in Genesis and go through Genesis and go through here and go through this and go through the Psalms, go through we don't typically do that when we sit down, we read the Bible, we read a small section of it, and then we go on. But to hear what God did over and over and over and over, he did not stop. And he will not stop until this sure hope is manifested fully in everything that he wants to accomplish it in. So this sure hope that God talks about from Genesis through Revelation is a hope that is already inside of us. And as we meditate on it, it becomes more active. God can persuade our hearts of this sure hope until we have the ability through him to rest in its strength and its stability. Romans 8, 17 says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What was Christ's inheritance? You know, when someone dies and you're in their will, you go to find out what your inheritance is. You might not know. In fact, many people don't even realize that they were in the will. So it says that we're joint heirs and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Well, what does that mean? If you don't know what the inheritance is, you might not even value it or think that it's anything that you even need to look at. 
Was it wealth? Is that your inheritance? Money? Worldly treasures? Will that give you the sure hope that's your inheritance? It's really sad, but I've been in a, a, a religious system that said that that wasn't. And we had to work so hard, which should have given me a clue right there, <laughs> but it didn't. <laughs> if you have to work hard for it, something's really wrong. But I was taught that that was part of the inheritance. And so when you saw that you didn't have it, like you thought you should, you worked really, really hard. And the way that you worked really hard was you gave all your money in a tithe and offering. And so this really messes up a person's heart when you begin thinking that this is your inheritance from God, and yet you're having to work for it. And many, many people... Unfortunately for us, it looked like it was working. But I know a lot of people, I mean, they weren't paying their rent so that they could gain their inheritance of wealth in this earth from God. Does that sound like a sure hope? No. It's very destructive. The inheritance that God gives us is a sure hope. Our inheritance is God's life. His very life he gives to us, his immortality. I said I was going to go back and forth between the, the two kind of hopes that we're going to encounter in this world. So this is a false hope that we see in Mark 4 that says this is what the world offers us. The cares, that means when things that we're worried about in this world that we see, the deceitfulness of riches, lusts for things. Now, these things only produce a fearful kind of hope, the kind of hope where you're wishing for something better. And it says that those kind of hopes choke out the word and make it unfruitful. So this false hope not only does it let us down, but it actually hurts us in the area of receiving the true, sure hope. 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, it says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Think about that. The foolishness of God, which there really is none, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, which there really is none, is stronger than men. If that's true, does everybody believe that's true? If that's true, why would we turn to our own ability for anything? It's not a sure hope. Why would we put our hope in anything in this fallen world? The fallen world is dying also. Why would we set our minds and hearts on a false hope? Is this sure hope found in the things of God or in the things of man? I'm sure we all agree that it's only found in the things of God. But when we get in the middle of the nitty-gritty of life here on earth, 
our carnal minds can drift away from the wisdom of God and turn to the strength of men, which is no help at all. <clears throat> I also <clears throat> lived in a, a Christian, it was Christian, but a religious Christian system where your hope was put on your ability to do the things that God wanted you to do. It might be following the Ten Commandments. It might be following uh, rituals that they had taught about the amount of time you need to spend with God, how much reading the Bible, how much worship, those kind of things. And so in our Christian lives, we would live taking a spiritual inventory of our behavior to see how strong our righteousness was and how pleasing we were to God. That is a picture of a false hope. How do we move from that false hope to the sure hope? We have to look away from ourselves as the answer. When we put our trust and our faith in our own ability, that is a false hope. Have you ever seen a branch get up in its own strength apart from the tree? No, that would be foolishness. That's how unsure the false hope is. It's the same as trusting in yourself to be able to produce something that you can't possibly produce. So to move out of that false system of hope into the sure hope, we need to look at God. We need to look at the vine. We're God's workmanship, not our own workmanship. The burden isn't on us to perform. Ours, our part is just to rest in what God has done. We don't have to toil for the false hope of our own righteousness. This is one that I've just recently started encountering. Um, I think we've all put our hope in avoiding pain. <laughs> yeah, avoiding pain, that's a big one. <clears throat> Any kind of pain, emotional pain, physical pain, mental pain. How has that worked for you? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Not good at all. We rearrange our lives to try to avoid pain and discomfort. Without realizing it, we're putting our hope in an impossibility. Instead of trying to get life by trying to avoid pain, we can rest in the pain and allow God to fill us with his hope, his sure hope of love, peace, and joy even when we're in the pain. And just recently, um, God has started uh, revealing things to me by the preaching that has gone on here, that it's in that pain, something is birthed. Something is birthed. And I can remember, I'm sorry, Jim, I'm picking on you a lot today. <laughs> but um, I can remember Greg saying that Jim said, I'm not going to take you down off that cross. 
when Greg was struggling with week after week preaching and that it was hard for him because he had a hard time getting up in front of people. He saw that back then, that there is fruit that is produced when you stay in the pain, whether it's discomfort, emotional, physical, and you let God birth what he's going to out of that pain. That is where the sure hope is, resting in God and letting him do the work. We can look to Jesus, our only sure hope, who looked at the cross and didn't avoid the pain. He saw that he was going to die away death and that out of that, God was going to produce much life. Think about it. One God-man died for billions and billions of men. And what was the fruit that was produced? Billions of God-men. Billions that would house the glory of God. Billions that would be raised out of death into glory and immortality. Many Christians trust in what Jesus did on the cross for their initial salvation, but then they return back to their own selves to maintain that salvation and don't realize that they have fallen back into bondage. They've fallen into a false hope. So they try to spend their lives pleasing God by what they do. The simplicity of the gospel says only one thing is needed. Where is the sure hope? I'm saying it over and over and over again because God said we need to hear it over and over and over again. There is only one thing that's needed. It begins with Jesus and we just believe on him and what he's done for us. That is the sure hope. No belly button gazing. We don't have to set our affections on anything that we can see in this world. Our sure hope is in the unseen realm. It's the only hope that can satisfy our hearts. It isn't a wishing and a hoping kind of hope. It must have a certainty or we can't rely on it. It has to be bigger than our tribulations. It has to be bigger than cancer. It has to be bigger than death. It has to be bigger than the death of a child. It has to be bigger than the death of your child. This is the kind of hope that obliterates every form of death that will ever raise its head up to you. It's the only hope that will not fail you. And I'm not saying that we're just going to go through this life and we know that this hope is living in us, and so we're never going to encounter ever again any fear or worry. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the sure hope that has been placed in us is the life and very um, essence of who God is. That's the sure hope. 
So when we encounter something that's very uncomfortable, that causes us problems, we go to God. He's our sure hope. He's going to give us a revelation. It doesn't always come immediately, as we all know. <laughs> Jesus stayed on that cross. He didn't come down immediately. God, in this sure hope, gives us the ability to rest. One of the gifts of the Spirit that is in this sure hope is long-suffering. It gives us the ability to hang in there and rest while God does the work and brings forth his fruit in us. This sure hope has to have the power to deliver. It has to have the power to prove that it can deliver. This isn't a wishing and a hoping that the saints go to the playoffs or that we're going to get snow. This hope that I'm talking about is an, ass an assurance that is a foundation that we can stand on. In fact, you can bet your life on it. In fact, it's so sure that you better bet your life on it. God made it that way on purpose. In fact, that is its purpose. This sure hope is God. And he said, let me put this hope in you, and then you can stand on me. Let me be your foundation. Let me be your sure hope, and you can rest. Well, I didn't get to this place easily. I know Greg said before the service started that he realized that he got a lot of his stubbornness from me. <laughs> Taking him years to realize that. <laughs> Thank you for that confirmation <laughs> that came from my husband. <laughs> so I needed to be persuaded. I had been tricked into believing many doctrines over the years, and I was not persuaded that God was 100% trustable. How do you trust in a sure hope if you don't believe it's a sure hope? I had been taught about the schizophrenic God, the one that was in the Old Testament and then somehow changed his nature by the time you got to the New Testament. Hmm. I couldn't trust the God that could turn on me the moment that I did something wrong because that meant he was going to be turning on me a lot. And, you know, I mean, I was taught that there's not only the sins of what you do or the sins of what you don't do and you should have done. And you don't even know a lot about those. So that, that wasn't anything sure for me to stand on if God was like that. I also couldn't trust a God that punished his son that had done nothing wrong so he could forgive me. Would you? I mean, could you trust somebody like that? You try to. You spend years trying to. You find the scriptures that say he'll never leave you or forsake you and all the scriptures that warm your heart and tell you how good he is. 
And then, man, you come against a scripture, and it says that God smited them. And you go, which is it? Until we get those things resolved in our heart, we can't really trust. That's why God, over and over and over again in the scriptures, teaches us, this is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. I got to the point where I was just so tired of being tricked. And I realized that I was being tossed to and fro. But then I heard a man tell me that God was the same throughout the Bible. I didn't believe that. But then he began to prove it week after week after week. And I heard these scriptures that I had not only misinterpreted myself, but taught to me misinterpreted, that it wasn't God that was the big baddie. You know who it was? It was death. Death that was in the world. That's what was causing all the problems. Not God. And gradually, and I do mean gradually, I became persuaded more and more of this truth. I began to realize that if I read a scripture and I was misinterpreting it, then something was wrong and it wasn't God. It wasn't that God had changed. I mean, think about it. If God had changed, that can't be a sure hope. You can't put a sure hope on something that changes. Doesn't the Bible say that God never changes? He's always the same. That was written to bring our hearts comfort and to also be a discerner of the truth for us. But even though I had read the scriptures that said God never changes, I closed the book and went on to believe totally opposite things about God. Where does it say that we see in a mirror and then walk away and forget what kind of man we are? Well, that's what I did with God. I was tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine using the Bible. Using the Bible, I was tossed to and fro. Something is wrong. Why didn't I see the contradictions? And when I did see them, why didn't I care? Why didn't I question and say, something has to be wrong, and it isn't God? But I looked at all the contradictions and I said, there is something wrong with God and I can't trust him. So I had to be convinced that God was the same. I had to be convinced that the hope that he provided for me was a sure hope. And that as I rested in it, I wouldn't be tossed to and fro anymore. If I'm going to have a God, I want one I can rely on. I want him to be a sure hope for me. So we've all seen the gods of this world, the God of money, the car God, the house God, the career God, or how about the good reputation God? God's hope is a sure hope. We watched it cover Adam and Eve. We saw it bring a sin offering outside of Cain's door. 
we saw it save Noah and his family. We saw it make Abraham the father of many nations. We saw that sure hope in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We saw it when Stephen was stoned to death. And we saw it in Jesus when he was nailed to the cross. And we saw it in his resurrected body. Paul saw this same hope on the road to Damascus, and it totally changed his life. In Acts 2, it says, my, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. More also, my flesh shall rest in hope. Mm, our flesh can't rest in an unsure hope. Our flesh can't stop unless it has been put to rest by the sure hope. And it's the hope that comes from God that causes our hearts to rejoice and bring our flesh to rest. The false hope that we encounter in this world causes us to question the goodness of God. It tries to lift up what happens to us in this world, what we have or what we don't have, as an indicator of God's love for us. We have all felt it. Where is your God now? Why did this happen to me? Why did God let that happen? So we reduce the love of God to being measured by Satan's belief system or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're tempted to take the weak things of this world and use them as a measuring stick for God's love. This puts he loves me, he loves me not on a roller coaster. That is not a sure hope. Well, if life's circumstances are not a judgment for or against God, what are they a judgment of? We've got to have these questions answered or we can't rest. Our hearts will always be trying to answer this question. And that's something that I really learned in this church, to ask questions and to not just ask surfacey questions, to ask the questions down deep that's going to go to the core of our being because that's where the deep questions are that we have. And until they get answered, we cannot rest, even though we want to. So what do life circumstances? Who is it judging? It's a judgment of the fallen world. That's it. It's a judgment that says that there is nothing in the fallen world that can bring us to rest or can give us the things that we're desiring in our heart. It's the fallen world produced by death, and it's a slippery slope. It is the fallen world and all of its glitter that has no stability in it, and it has no life to give us. It only gives us a false hope that can't produce life. Where is the place that we find the measurement of God's love for us? This is another very important question that needs to be answered in our hearts. Otherwise, 
the circumstances in the world are going to toss us to and fro. It's at the cross. It's at the resurrection. That's where we have the proof of God's love for us. It is the sure hope. Do you have people knocking down your door wanting to die for you? Wanting to die on a cross? And let's just pretend you did. Could any of them be raised from the dead? Mm -mm. No. Only Jesus. And that's the proof of God's love for us. He was willing to come to this earth, put on a human suit, and die for you. And then be resurrected into glory and immortality. To just keep it for himself? No, he did it so he could give it to all of us. That was the goal. He had immortality in heaven. He didn't have to come down to the earth and take on a human suit. He had it. What was he missing in heaven? Us. That was it. Us. So the only sure hope of where we're going to find the proof of God's love is Jesus on the cross and God raising him from the dead. It's so easy for us to want to rest in the things of this world. Things crop up every day and you don't even see them coming. Recently, one of my grandsons had a presentation to do at school. He's about 12 and he's uh, very uncomfortable speaking in front of people. And so he didn't want to do it. And you know, I don't know how how much you all realize this, but kids can be really cruel. <laughs> and they aren't going to all come up to you and say, you did a great job. No, you know, they're going to say, you suck. You know, why? what made you think you could do that? And then to make it worse, one of the kids in the class was a bully that had bullied him quite a bit. And so that made him even more anxious. Anyway, my heart was really for him. And I wanted everything to go really right for him. I wanted everything to go perfect for him. Remember me talking about our flesh wants to run from any kind of pain and discomfort? Well, if you love a person, you don't want them to have that pain and discomfort. So the next morning I got up and I was praying for him. And <clears throat> I thought, I'm going to text him and let him know. So I texted him and I said, I want to let you know I'm praying for you. And I am praying that everything goes well with your presentation and that it's perfect. And I just had this funny little hesitation. <laughs> and I looked at it, it seemed right. That's what my heart was wanting. And, and I was in some anxiety and worry too, I'm going to be honest. And I heard God say to me, is that what you want to say to him? Is this the message that you want to leave him with? Is this the sure hope? Yes, it was what my carnal self wanted. <laughs> and I just did everything I could to just override God's prompting. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. God is trying to give us a sure hope in every situation. 
And we're wanting something different. We're wanting relief from discomfort. We're wanting our flesh to be ministered to when God has a sure hope for our flesh that says rest. So I was not real happy, but I said, God, what message should I give him? Should I be giving him? This is what God told me. To tell him I'm praying for you and your presentation today, that you know God is with you and that he loves you so much. Which is the sure hope? I on purpose didn't call and ask him how it went because I wanted the sure hope for my heart to be that God was with him and God loved him so much. And that is the sure hope. And the unsure hope is that it did go perfect because everything doesn't always go perfect in this world for us. But if we're not standing on that foundation for our hope, we can just slide right through. Stay standing on that sure foundation that's God. Let him fill us with his peace and love and joy, no matter what's going on. And as we rest in that, we watch what God birth out of so many circumstances that we thought there was no hope in. The world's kind of hope produces what I was feeling for my grandson, an anxiousness, a worrying, a toiling. How was I toiling to try to make everything go right when I couldn't even be in his classroom? This toiling thing and this trying to rest in a false hope, it produces insanity, really. It produces you doing things that common sense tells you won't help, but that's what it produces. God's hope produces the rest because it's the sure hope and it can never fail. And he gives it to us as a free gift. God does not ask us to live by blind faith. He puts his faith on display in full view. Jesus hung on the cross, resting in the faith of his father to raise him to life. That was a sign for us. What sign? Sure hope, the promise of immortality, the assurance of the immortality of Jesus raised to glory and that that same life was for us a sure hope. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. <laughs> I always wondered why it had so many adjectives before the word promise. Promise is a promise. I mean, you can trust in a promise. But God like we saw last week, always went above. He went above. His kind of hope has to go above all the circumstances. His promises are exceeding. They're great and they're precious. That by these promises, 
You might be partakers of the divine nature. Ooh, man, have we really sat and let God give us a revelation of that? The sure hope that God has given to you is that you're a partaker of the divine nature. You're a God-man. You're not just a human being. When Jesus rose from the dead, a new species got created. Jesus was the first one. And then there were many brothers and sisters to come along after. That's the sure hope that God is wanting to fill our hearts with. And the world comes and gets us to put all of our efforts and all of our thoughts and, and put our minds to getting a new car. And I'm not saying it's wrong to get a new car, but I'm saying the sure hope isn't the new car. The sure hope is what God has placed inside of you. And he's given you his nature as a free gift. And that is a foundation for you to be able to stand on. I want to read a couple of verses from Psalms. And if you all do not have these books, it's Revealing Abba in the Psalms, and there's part one and part two. It's written by John Frazio. It just, for me and many other people that I know, it has opened up the scriptures and specifically opened up the heart between Jesus and God when he was on the cross. And for me, it has just been an amazing strength to see that I've got that divine nature in me. I've got that. I can go to God and rest when I'm in discomfort, just like Jesus did. So this first one is Psalm 7. This is Jesus talking. Remember I was telling you we need proof? God doesn't expect us to live by blind faith. He is proving to us that the hope he has given is sure. So Jesus says to Abba, you Abba are my defender and save your beloved by persuading their hearts of the sure hope they see in me to rest in you freely, to clothe them with your life and immortality. Wow. Psalm 7. Jesus putting on display the sure hope so we can know it is real and what it does produce. What it produced for Jesus, it'll produce for us. And let's see, the second one <clears throat> is Psalm 60. And that the glory they see in me, again, this is Jesus talking to the Father, and that the glory they see in me, who's the they? All of us. Years and years of generations. And that the glory they see in me will utterly destroy any word that the world could speak about them. Mm. And they will be strengthened with 
the hope revealed in me. Abba's teaching and instruction unto life. God is willing to teach and instruct us. He wants to persuade our hearts of this sure hope. He doesn't just throw it out and say, oh, sure hope, that's for you, and go on. He sees we're living in a fallen world, and our hearts and mind are being challenged. And so he makes sure that he puts this sure hope on display for us to see it. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings, <clears throat> whether it's physical or mental or emotional, any kind of discomfort of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's nice to read. It's nice. I thought it was nice when I memorized it. But it didn't do a thing for me until God started teaching me by revelation what that really means. I knew what the sufferings of the present time meant. <laughs> I had experienced that a whole lot. But what about they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. We get that understanding by revelation as we sit and we let God show us. This glory that's revealed in us is the sure hope. It's a gift of God's life and himself fully. We talked about that from last week also. Fully. God gave himself fully. He did not hold back one part of himself. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a sure hope. So this sure hope is God's life, who he is, given to us freely, and it doesn't rest on the acts of men, but on the promises of God. I have been wrecked by this sure hope. It has rattled me to the core of my being. And let me assure you, it hasn't all been fun. I have been caught in the rock in the hard place where discomfort was there. And God said, don't run, rest, and let me prove myself to you. He's opened my eyes and my ears so I can see and hear his heart for me. And I'm sure it's not near finished, but it has been so profound that it gives me the desire to rest even more and to listen to what is he's telling me. It's a sure hope that rose out of the grave glorified and immortal with a sure word about us and about Abba. It was a sure hope that Jesus had beaten death once and for all. He destroyed it at its root and he wiped it out. Yeah, we might still see some remnants of death in this world, but every remnant that we see or feel is going to pass away. It came to pass, just as sure as Jesus came out of the grave. 
And when we encounter those remnants, all we have to do is go to God and he will show us what he's done. And he will bring that peace and joy to our hearts. Are you looking for a sure hope? Do you want a sure hope that you can rely on all the time? There's only one place to find it, and it's not of this world. No amount of money or cars or titles can give it to you. The strong will become weak. The youths will grow old. The wealth and riches you accumulate in this world, you can't take them with you. The only sure hope is the risen Christ. This sure hope will tell you things like this. The work I have begun in you, I'm faithful to finish it. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have carved you on the palm of my hands. As far as the east is from the west, I have removed your transgressions from you. I was made to be sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God. Hosea 13, 14 gives us a picture of God's heart to give us a sure hope that we're free from death. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eye. God will not stop. It is a sure hope. He hates death in all of its forms because he sees that it hurts us. And this is an exceeding great promise that he's going to wipe out death once and for all. And we can put our sure hope on that. And when did he do it? At the cross and resurrection. When it looked like to the Roman soldiers, even to his friends, that all was lost. Why? Because they were seeing death. Isn't that what happens to us initially when we see death? It's like it just sucks hope out of you and it tries to replace it with fear. But then comes God. Just wait. Just wait. Just rest. See what I'm going to do with you. And we watch in the body of Jesus what happened to him. It doesn't matter how bad it looked on the cross. It looked bad. The Bible tells us that he was injured so badly that he didn't even look like a man. Mm. pretty bad and yet the sure hope brought Jesus out of the grave not injured not any problems better than he went to the cross glorified and immortal <clears throat> I want to read this. I said that this wasn't the typical Christmas message, but I've gotten a few uh, Christmas cards this year that have just really touched my heart so deeply. 
I thought this one was uh, really amazing about the sure hope. Hope doesn't come from prediction about the future in the world or promises from politicians. This is a Christmas card. <laughs> I was amazed. Or the next new policy. <laughs> hope, the sure hope, is found in one person who was born in a manger, died on a cross, rose into immortality, and is coming again. There is our sure hope. We don't need another because it is sure. So we can all rejoice because we have been given this sure hope. Amen. 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 Amen.